Hi, Marcus. Um, you probably don't know me well. Um, I um, I was uh, invited by Vadin to Turku, and I think it was around three to four years ago. And uh, I helped you to integrate uh, the backend Vadin with uh, CDI and Java EE six or seven back then. Okay. Um, and um, and so we stayed stayed in touch. So um, at Java One and Code One at the conferences, I came to your booth and had a conversation with your CEO or CTO. I forgot his name. Um, Jonas, probably. Yeah, exactly, Jonas. So I know Jonas uh, for for a longer time, and I also knew some core Vadin developers uh, who implemented the um, Vadin servlet on the on the backend. So I had some interaction already with them. Did we met in Turku? No. No, no, no. I've uh, I've been in the U.S. now in our California office for the past six and some years, so over oh, six okay. years. So I, I was probably here already by then. So we never met. So I did some research on the web, and I wanted to see what you're actually doing. And um, and what surprised me, you have some EJB three experience, right? Yeah, that was uh, way back in my yeah sure in the start of my career. It was. Uh, my actually my first job was uh taking a old application mm-hmm. that they had and rewriting it using the then very new EJB3 mm-hmm. standards and mm-hmm. so that was kind of my first real life experience with with java and kind of the enterprise side of things and were you pragmatic with development or you had to implement you know 50 layers and uh and crazy stuff like that I, I think that uh, the reason why we did this uh, this uh, refactoring back in the day was just because it was kind of this 50 layers architecture. And we when we moved over to EJB3, uh, mm-hmm. we simplified that quite quite a bit to, to make it much more manageable for, for developers to, to reason about. Hey, cool. So, um, so you were quite successful back then, right? Yeah, well, we got the app working. It went into production and was successful there. So I, I think that was a pretty good, good thing for a first project. Okay, and uh, was it the very, very first Java project? Not like my first Java project. I've like done some, some stuff on my own. So I, I kind of knew some Java before, but that was like my first, first job project. Okay, uh, so what was your first Hello World? So in which language you wrote your first Hello World or whatever first line of code which worked? Do you remember that? Uh, I think I honestly got started on the web just playing around in the browser, uh, uh, changing things, uh, writing small snippets of JavaScript. Then in, in high school and stuff, I, I did some uh, C++ and other courses that they they offered and java didn't actually come in until uh much later like at, at university for me mm-hmm. and uh what you did is the first what you wrote what was your first running application <laughs> oh man what was it it must have been some sort of like uh javascript thing that changes your toolbar or oh, okay uh, something or, like this or or, or Shows the time or something else that's equally uh, okay. impressive, and your f- <laughs> equally impressive, <laughs> and your and your first Java application. Uh, that was a uh, well. Besides Hello World app, that would would have been the app that I I spoke of. So it was kind of a meeting uh, collaboration type of application. Oh, cool! So it kind of uh, went from very simple to quite complex in a in very a cool. short to myriad 
uh, period of time. And um, and you uh, immediately joined Vadin after after your university, or what was your you know? So my my background was actually the the company that I worked at when I was in university was uh, was using the framework that would later be called Vaden. And since I happened to be in a university, which was right across the street from from the Vaden office, anytime I had trouble getting something working or something, I found a bug or something, I could just walk over and knock on the door and say, say like, hey, this isn't working, like, help me out. And uh, after a while, they, they were basically just like, well, how about you just stay over here? <laughs> okay, cool. So, so uh, when, once, I, uh, once I graduated, I, I started working at Vaden. That was in... Uh, I think it was like early 2010. Okay. It's been a while. Okay, so you just uh, you know you just started with Vardin and you stick with Vardin, right? Yeah, for for like my Java career, Vardin has been the main UI framework for mm -hmm. me. I uh, I have worked with GWT on kind of extending things on on the mm -hmm. client side. There, I've used Spring and Java EE and all kinds of backend things mm -hmm. but in, in terms of like ui stuff in java that's been my main thing uh mm -hmm. for the past several years i've been uh working more on our front end uh related technologies and and kind of focused more on on that side of of the development at vaden what is actually the history of vaden you told me the company before vaden so what was the name of vaden before vaden so before vaden was called vaden it was called it mill toolkit uh and before that, it was called Millstone. So the framework actually came out with the first kind of public release in, I think it was 2001 or two. Mm -hmm. And it, for those that don't know, Vaden has this kind of very strict separation between the server side uh, code that you write, which is on a fairly high level of abstraction. So you're dealing with things like buttons and horizontal and vertical layouts and click listeners and things that on a conceptual level don't really change all that much over time. So that has allowed the framework to evolve from in the beginning, essentially doing just XML with XSLT transformations and just like full page reloads to uh, somewhere around 2005, we had our own homegrown Ajax client that allowed us to do much more uh, fine grained updates to the browser. Then when Google Web Toolkit with came out, we switched over to having that power our uh, our browser, essentially. And then in the, just in the last couple of years, we've moved over from using GWT to using standards-based web components for the, for the UI implementation. So having this separation between the API that we give our uh, Java users and then the implementation that we provide has allowed us to kind of update the frameworks uh, uh, update the framework to match all the new technologies in the browser without having to break the Java API that that much over time. Mm -hmm. And uh, who started uh, the uh, the company? Was it Jonas? Yeah, it was him, and I think it was about three three other people, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly. So it was a small group of people. If I r remember the origin story correctly, they were. Uh, all working on a healthcare project in Perl back in the day that was supposed to run on the web and essentially realized that like uh, 
consider building a web app in Perlin, like 1999. Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily the easiest task to compose a very complex business application out of very small uh, building blocks and primitives. So they they figured like desktop programmers have a component-based way of building applications. Surely there should be something similar for the web in order for us to be able to really start building more meaningful applications on it. Mm-hmm. So uh, they started... Uh, f- uh the project first so they were involved in the project and then they extracted the product from the project right if i understood correctly yeah they kind of i don't know if they i don't think they like exactly extract the project from it since the language was different but i think they that led to them having a lot of ideas on how they would like to build a project and kind of use those ideas and and that use case as a as a catalyst for for kind of creating this product. So it was very much built out of a necessity or kind of to to fulfill a need that they have had themselves. So it's in those cases are kind of easy when you can kind of really set put yourself in the customer's shoes or the user's shoes because you essentially are the user. Mm-hmm. So they um yeah and then they uh, they would then the, the consultants became a product company, right? So they product was created and properly you had already side projects but uh, from then we got Vardin right yeah so the yeah correct so the the product itself was open sourced quite quite early on uh, realizing that uh, having the product open source uh, generated more visibility for it also generated more kind of trust in in us as a small Finnish company so uh, bigger clients were also more comfortable using the technology, knowing that for whatever reason we would cease to exist, they would still at least have access to the to the framework and would be able to have like a contingency plan on how to go forward. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. essentially, from those days, I, I think we, uh, especially around when we, it, it kind of started picking up with IT Mill Toolkit, but really when we uh rebranded to Vaadin around I think it was 2008 or 9 uh I think we saw a really big kind of upswing in in the amount of community members and just people who were active with Vaadin and and promoting it uh to their to their peers and and that that kind of led to a much bigger growth for us Exactly and um so Vaadin is like uh comprises two parts so you have the front-end parts which communicates via I was binary protocol with uh, servlet and the servlet uh, translates that in the higher level calls at the end of the day it's completely transparent to the developer so what the developer only have to do is to implement on the on the Java side it looks like swing to me or Ada, or JavaFX or AWT is like just like a native component toolkit in pure Java yep. and it just generates components on the front end and uh, what I think also why Vardin is was so successful, it was always visually appealing. So from the beginning, you know, the dogs yeah. looked right and the aesthetics were right. And this is, of course, not common in <laughs> enterprise <laughs> Java projects, right? Yeah. So, so and why I'm why why I'm mentioning this because in one point of time, you decided to have Vardin elements, uh, which is interesting again because. If the architecture is right, you could decouple the front end from the back end. And this is what you did. So you have right now in the front end um, Vardin elements, which are actually web components and can be used without the Java backend. This is right, right? Yes, yes. 
correct. So we have we have a set of just standards-based web components. Um, I touched on this earlier when I was talking about the evolution of the different client-side engines that we've had over the years. And uh, essentially, we were at a point where we'd been building components for the web for the past, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years, a long time. So we had a lot of experience in building components. And now uh, there was a set of standards coming out that allowed us to actually express those components as platform-native components instead of having to use something like GWT to essentially emulate those components in the browser. Mm -hmm. So that idea was very appealing to us. Uh, already kind of back in the days when we switched from our homegrown uh, UI kind of Ajax library on the client to using GWT, we were considering like uh, trying to ma uh, make these components uh, kind of decouple them from the framework so that other GWT users would be able to use them in their projects standalone from Vaadin. Uh, that, for whatever reason, uh, didn't pan out. But uh, with the web component rewrite, we essentially set down to build a new set of components using everything that we've learned from like what uh, user needs are. And also with just kind of the new context of being in, like I think it was 2016 or something when we started, just having vastly different requirements for what a set of components needs to do than 10 years prior. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to spend a lot of time making sure that they are accessible to things like screen readers. We wanted to make sure that they work very well on mobile devices so they adapt to screen sizes and they have sufficiently big touch targets and just kind of did a real big overhaul and because of the web components standards it meant that we were able to to make the components also available to a much bigger audience of developers than just the java community mm -hmm. um and the uh, vadin elements which happen to be the uh, elements we are talking about the um, web components we are talking about are the same components which i would use or would be generated for me if i would use stock vadin that's correct. So uh, if you create a, in Java, you create a, say, a Vaadin vertical layout, you put a, two buttons in it, or you create uh, the same, that would generate the same exact HTML code uh, running in the browser as if you had written the custom element uh, into your uh, HTML yourself. So it's, uh, if you look at the generated uh, DOM from a Vaadin application, it's very easy to reason about it. it exactly like one-to-one -one mapping essentially between your java objects and the custom uh, elements this is actually great because i think then you are one of the view frameworks with no clean markup so if you just take a look at google web toolkit it's a mess i think no one can understand what's going on there generated yeah, and, and, and that's kind of out of necessity because back then google web toolkit lacked the platform primitives that were needed to really kind of do this kind of thing. So they were resorted to essentially emulating, uh, taking taking these lower level building blocks like spans and divs and just wrapping them up in JavaScript and taping them to look like whatever component uh, they needed to look like. Whereas now we're able to actually leverage some of these new browser features and, and actually have them behave uh, and look the way that uh, they are. So it's much easier to, to look at the code. Uh, we With the latest version, we also kind of wanted to make the Java API uh, closer to the web in a way that uh, uh, 
you're now able to take any of the Java components and like in the uh, when you're working in Java and the Java API you're able to call get element on them them and get essentially the underlying DOM element reference so if you want to add like a JavaScript listener on it for I don't know hovering or something else you can you can do that directly from from the Java code uh, which is quite powerful especially if you're trying to integrate some third-party components or if you want to extend a component in a way that the uh, original author didn't necessarily think about yeah this is actually amazing so what you could do with that you could uh, register Java listeners to third-party custom elements right that, that's correct so uh, if you have like a third-party web component that you've created yourself or you've found somewhere uh, the integration to Vaadin is very simple at least in my opinion essentially you create a Java class that extends from component you do a at JavaScript annotation to import the source file for it mm -hmm. then you do an uh, tag annotation to tell which uh, HTML tag this mm -hmm. component will associate itself with mm -hmm. and then you just use this element API so you can have for instance a setter which calls the element API set property or set attribute to set that attribute or property and then you can add the listeners for JavaScript events in directly from from Java so essentially you can integrate any web component uh, directly from Java without even having to write like a JavaScript uh, connector of any kind, which is uh, pretty pretty cool, I think. Yeah, this is uh, actually very cool. So now, just a little bit of context to you. So um, I'm actually a back-end Java e developer, and what I mm -hmm. really like is the simplicity. So I would like to keep my wars uh, without any external dependencies. I just focus on business logic. Mm -hmm. And of course, a few years ago, clients started to ask me what you would suggest us in the front end. And of course, there are frameworks, lots of frameworks, but I didn't like them because it, for, to me, they looked like, you know, enterprise application, Java EE 20 years ago, like, you know, lots of layers and co-generation and stuff what nobody understands. Mm -hmm. So what I started to do two years ago, I would say, I just use plain ES6 and uh, web component shadow DOM custom elements and yep. CSS3 just, you know, bare bone code. And for enterprise apps where Chrome was uh, allowed to use, where it's an enterprise standard, we didn't even have NPM. It was just, you know, like uh, web development in, I would say, 1995. So no builds, nothing, but, um, but uh, um, just web standards. And um, then I attended Java One uh, Code One this year, and I wanted yep. to tell to talk with Jonas uh, that uh, I knew that Vardin uh, uses uh, has the um, Vardin elements. Like whatever you do, just drop whatever you can. Just focus on web standards. And and and, jo and Jonas told me I have to talk to you, but. Uh, <laughs> Because I just spent two days at Code One because of my workload, I had no time to, to, to talk to you. So I suggested we can talk at the podcast. And now also funny. At Java One, I delivered a talk like PWAs without frameworks or something like this. Yep. And in the research, I took a look on your session and it was very, very similar to my. And then yeah. I did some research and I found another session. It's like, what are you are talking about? So I'm not crazy. You can absolutely be, you know, uh, uh, productive without any frameworks, and um, 
At the same time, uh, my clients ask me, you know, but what you can do if we uh, need, you know, complex grid? And I always pointed to Vardin or sometimes to prime phases, depends mm -hmm. on from which background they came. Uh, for instance, to take the Vardin grid and they say, yeah, but this is hard. And what I did in my workshop, I just integrated the uh, Vardin third party component just without NPM. What I did, I just copied the code and just imported this as ES, uh, ES6. And then yeah. uh, with the API, which was well documented, I, I think I passed an array of JavaScript objects and they were immediately visible on the yeah. uh, in the table and we did some scrolling and everyone was happy. So, and what surprised me, at least what was uh, what, what I saw, you have a similar mindset. You can say right now, forgot frameworks. You can achieve a lot without any frameworks. Is it correct? Well, I think uh, there's still definitely a place for frameworks but i also think that uh it's very kind of interesting to see just how much you can do without frameworks so that you really realize where uh where the, where you need the framework so for some simple projects that i'm working on it can be more than enough to just have something like a uh, like a router and some custom components and and or custom elements and that that's it i mean that that can already give me most of the uh, uh, most of the features that I, I would have used out of a framework. Exactly. Uh, but even router is, is actually, router is very easy to implement, you know. You have a hash change event or uh, and yeah. you have a router, I would say, uh, or you hook up some click listeners on, on links and you replace one DOM element, you have a router. Actually, I wrote a router, it was, a, I think, 50 lines of code and two custom elements. For sure, yeah. I mean, it's uh, depending, of course, on what your needs are. That can be uh, as as short as a couple of lines of code. Yeah. But yeah, like you're you're, you're definitely correct, and I, I think it's going to uh, web components and custom elements and and the standards that are coming out are definitely, I, I think, going to mean that frameworks can become much smaller and more modular mm -hmm. uh, as time goes on. So before, uh, essentially, a framework web framework needed to ship all of the things that it needed. So it had to ship its own component model and it needed to ship all of these things uh, by itself, whereas now it can focus more on the, the framework things like state management or orchestration between components or things that make this framework different from other frameworks. So uh, it doesn't need to duplicate a lot of the things that the web platform itself is already giving it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and web platform gives us a lot. So, uh, in order to call the backend, there is one function called fetch. If yep. you would like to have WebSockets, there is new WebSocket. And mm -hmm. uh, also interesting, um, you also seem to like a service workers, what I also did. So, I actually recorded yep. a workshop called, uh, how it's called, it's Effective Java, Java Web Standards. And what I did there, or Effective uh, Web Effective Web is the name of the workshop. And I created an offline stocks app with service workers. And the cool story with service workers is they are really easy to explain Java developers. Because at the end of the day, it's like, you know, a message listener, which has access mm -hmm. to a hash map, which is type with request and response. So there's actually relatively easy to implement, a little bit harder to test because uh, in yeah. one point of time, it couldn't just <laughs> cache too much. But, um, but um this is actually amazing how much is out there. It's actually more what we had at the swing days, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think the service worker is a, just an incredibly powerful tool. Like you said, it can be sometimes a little bit hard to uh, use it properly and kind of make sure that you're only caching what you need and stuff. Fortunately exactly. for that, there are uh, 
good libraries like Workbox, which can really uh, help you with mm -hmm. things like that. So you can specify like, I want to cache images, but only up to 100 of them or, uh, or 200 megs and expire the oldest ones first. And you can uh, define these much more higher level caching mm -hmm. strategies, uh, which would probably take you quite a bit of code to, to get right yourself. So I think that's also one of the nice things about the web, providing these uh, low-level APIs is that uh, library vendors are able to then provide these uh, different high-level APIs for them also for those cases where you need them. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But um, I have, I'm in a few projects where migrating from uh, old Swing and JavaFX to uh, web standards only. And what mm -hmm. I suggested to the developers, they are seasoned Java developers, so they are really good. So like take, just start first with plain service worker that yep. you really understand what's going on. And exactly. I'm actually against you no know, code generators because they generate you something. And if it doesn't work always, you are lost. Yeah. Yeah, but if but if you start with lean code and then you can be exp, uh, inspired by Workbox or other, I would I would I would turn it around in 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 serious project. The same is true for for the router, for instance. So yeah. for instance, the router, if you implement your a very simple router, it is going to be too simple in the first place because you would like to you know to have a preconditions checks or security checks, but yep. you are completely flexible, so you can still implement them if you need them. Mm -hmm. And if you take, you know, React router or Angular router or other routers, this is almost, you know, they are overwhelming what they are able to do. So you will have to understand, you know, everything fir first to, in order to use it. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And that's essentially, uh, that was one of my, my talks at Code One was exactly this. So I, I showed hands-on how to build a, first a web component with just nothing but the standard APIs how to build a service worker with nothing but the standard APIs. Mm -hmm. And after that kind of showed some of the different tools and libraries that are available if you if you want to, but I really kind of implored people to first understand what the browser already provides and how that works because it, it's much easier to go the way that you said that you first, you, you kind of start small and lean and mm -hmm. then you only add complexity where, where needed and if it's actually needed. Mm -hmm. But this is, I think, only true for Java developers because the modern JavaScript looks almost like Java. If I were <laughs> a jQuery developer, I think it would be better to just use a framework because uh, you, I could just, you know, survive somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm sure jQuery developers are able to to pick up <laughs> new standards as well. But, but sure, yeah, it's. Uh... Oh, um, what? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. But um, if you search, for instance, for jQuery versus JavaScript, there was actually a very valid question a few years ago. Uh, what do you, should I start with? Should I? Yeah. Is, it, is it you know? Should I know JavaScript in order to be to be productive with jQuery? Yeah. And no kidding. There was like no, no, you know, I, I, I definitely understand, and I've, I've heard like I've I've had the same with especially like back in the like Angular one days. It was like you would run into people who were Angular developers, but they didn't necessarily feel like they knew JavaScript or like their their knowledge is very kind of narrowly specific to this yeah. one framework or library. And uh, I, and I think I for think those developers, with, this is not true, right? So for those developers, you yeah. cannot just start with web components because this is actually um, a true, I would say, software engineering or you have to hack code like you did before with Java, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's very transparent. So what are the weak points, just because uh, we are somehow compatible with our thoughts? I think what is missing is a robust template, right? So we have the ES6 literals, 
But what yeah. we don't have in the standard, and Apple actually proposed one standard, but I'm really interested whether yeah. something happens with it. And uh, what you need, something like mustache, and um, this is our handlebars, is like, you know, JSP syntax inside the browser. Yep. And the reason why we need it is just, I think, for security, because without that, it is really easy to run into cross-site scripting attacks. Agreed? Uh, I agree, both for, for security, but also really for performance. So if you, uh, if you do the yeah. kind of very simple, uh, for instance, you just do inner HTML for everything, it's, of course, not very secure, like you said, but also if you uh, just basically trash and recreate the whole big part of your DOM for any, any change that you have to your UI, that can actually be pretty poorly performing and mm -hmm. kind of lead to lead to bad user experience. So I, uh, I'm also very interested in seeing how that one spec proposal on the templates uh, moves along. But fortunately, there are some pretty interesting projects in the in the user space. Like LitHTML, and this is the yeah. other commonality. <laughs> I yeah. use LitHTML lit for a long time, and what I always use, I don't use the Lit uh, element from Polymer. Yep. I just uh, include two functions, HTML and Render, as uh, mm -hmm. just import them, and then you know, let render my component with LitHTML, which is very, very efficient, and this is absolutely transparent what happens. And yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, Vadin is also using LitHTML, right? The new Vadin elements. Uh, the current Vardin elements aren't, as far as I know, using them yet. It's uh, they are compatible with Lit uh, mm -hmm. HTML, and we're kind of looking for the next components uh, are most likely going to use mm -hmm. Lit HTML, and then as as we kind of refactor the existing components, they will most likely mm -hmm. uh, use it. But yeah, it's something that I personally also used for for a good while. I really enjoy the simplicity of it, the fact that it's just JavaScript essentially from the from the developer's perspective and and also from the browser's perspective it's uh because it's using these platform native functions like the template literal and the html template uh tags it's able to be just very very uh efficient in what it's doing without mm -hmm. being complex to use so um it is actually amazing on on multiple levels so first it is short so i think uh, the first elite html it fit on one slide and google io conference was presented so yeah. a really short library it's not a framework. It is actually just a function. What you said is this ES6 template literal function with the name HTML, and the other mm -hmm. is render. So actually, the other is just render function, but the only one is HTML. So yep. it could be, this is like standard extension from JavaScript. Mm -hmm. And now comes the amazing part. So lit HTML and HyperHTML, so both are related. Um, mm -hmm. They are very efficient because internally, they remember what changed and they only change this DOM elements which are actually affected. And this is what you mentioned why the performance is better, right? Yeah, exactly. So when you essentially, when you call a lit uh, H or you create that lit HTML template with the HTML uh, template tag, mm -hmm. it will return you something called a template result, which is essentially, uh, it parses that template, it finds uh, all the places in the template where you've used JavaScript, uh, uh, basically where the changing parts are, where you've used JavaScript to add some logic or bind a variable, it keeps track of those, and then it creates just a static uh, cached template for for the rest of it. So whenever you change something, it doesn't need to parse anything. It just kind of produces, uh, updates the values 
uh, in the right uh, holes in the template, and it's uh, very fast. Mm -hmm. And this is the and this is the uh, alternative to so-called virtual DOM, where yeah. uh, where they build the entire DOM in memory, and then the on end of transaction or request they would create a div and apply the differences to the real DOM. The problem with that, it consumes more memory. So per accident, you know, the web standard is even consumes less memory and is very fast, right? Yeah, there's a, there's a community member in the, who's pretty active in the lit community who has a really interesting kind of uh, suite of, of performance test, testing all kinds of different rendering templates and, and lit consistently mm -hmm. outperforms virtual virtual DOM, especially for more complex UIs? Yeah, it has to, because, you know, the, uh, having, you know, a complex object tree maintaining twice, computing the diff and reapplying, I, I mean, in, in yeah, one point I, of time should break. Yeah, I mean, essentially the complexity of a lit template grows with the amount or the number of dynamic nodes in it, whereas the complexity of a virtual DOM template grows with the amount of DOM nodes you have in it. So it's... Uh, it, it, it's especially when you get to larger templates it's it's very well performing compared to something like virtual dom and for me personally i i enjoy the fact that it's less magic it's just uh using the web platform provided standards yeah absolutely i mean yeah uh, i mean you can explain to everyone what is what happens behind the scenes i'm not so sure about you know these sophisticated frameworks so now yeah. i'm curious i'm asking a question i'm really i'm really curious about your answer so what's your opinion about angular 2 plus so five five four five six and seven and whatever it comes next year <laughs> well, i think they're coming out with like two or four a year maybe two maybe i uh -huh. don't remember exactly but several uh to me like the first time i saw it uh it looked like Java EE for the front end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a. I don't know if that was their intention to kind of uh, make a safe space for enterprise developers to move over to front end development. It feels like that because they provide very many of the same uh, patterns and kind of conveniences that you would expect to find in an enterprise framework. You have dependency injection and all kinds of testing tools and and just you have a typed environment with TypeScript and everything. So, uh, yeah, the, the it, modules it, are interesting. So the, the modules, this is really what I absolutely don't get. Why yeah. why they are there? Because uh, what, whatever you're doing, you will have you know to declare it in a module, export yeah. the thing, import the thing. There's are three or four places where you have to maintain yeah. your code, and this yeah. is actually really hard. So therefore, there is a CLI which is supposed to generate your stuff, which we actually had in enterprise development. Uh, I would 20, 20 years, yeah. uh, fifteen years ago. Yeah. And um, yeah, exactly. And so, uh, uh, yeah. apparently, they are um, one of the kind of uh, reasons why they have that very kind of clunky module system is that they they uh, predate some of those ES6 specs. So I was at a meetup here in the Bay Area not too long ago. I uh, spoke at the same time as one of the Angular tech leads, and apparently they are in the future versions of Angular uh, looking to get rid of that proprietary oh, that mo mo module and just use ES modules instead, which I think will make it much saner for <laughs> people yeah. to use. This is what I understand. Okay, so if they say this is like replacement of the ES6 module standard, so this is what I would understand, but no one can 
yeah, okay. But this would mean, in one point of time, even more migration for Angular projects, right? I I would assume so. I, I don't know if they would. <laughs> no, no, they um, would. They would probably uh, maintain backwards compatibility, or or then they would try to provide some sort of tool for migration. I, I'm not entirely sure. It's uh, looking from the side. It it does seem like there's some amount of friction with every with every migration there and and of sometimes course. they're they're bigger than others so of course that's uh that's the opposite of what of course uh if they were trying to get uh people coming from an enterprise background to this uh safe space that they built on the front end i, I think that's one part where they're perhaps failing is that enterprise developers don't necessarily like having breaking changes every six months yeah. to their code because uh, that makes it very hard to kind of keep up with with deadlines. Actually, developers love it, but managers don't like it. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> that, yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm really now right now in lots of projects where we migrate away from Angular, and the reasons what you said, no one is interested in 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 you know watching the breaking changes. Um, but I think what will happen in future is all the frameworks will melt down. Because if uh, no Angular replaces the module system with uh, with ES6 modules, then it will even more look like uh, web components uh, without any framework. And they uh, have, I think, Angular Elements is uh, is the name. So they have that, yeah. already support for custom elements. So at the end of the day, the TypeScript will remain and dependency injection. I think I'm not sure about the dependency injection because. Um, even in the more complex projects in, in, in the front end, you probably get, I don't know, two to three classes reference in a web component. And this is very easy to create them with new. So I don't think, you know, the dependency injection is that important to me. Yeah. 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 And you can also uh, have kind of service uh, service classes, essentially. So you can import just the methods you need from a separate file yeah. in, into your component and uh, that's actually more efficient uh, build time because you can actually tree shake. And if you only used one method from from your service instead of the whole thing, mm-hmm. then you can actually eliminate more dead code out of your final final. Yeah, and build. it looks like dependency injection because it was uh, say something, write something like import, uh, uh, let's say uh, load 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 clients from something else, yeah. and you just import yep. the function. And um, yeah, it's even less code because you don't have to use, you know, add inject. And the function could be even static. So yeah, in the class static or just a function. Correct. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think right now we have two two ways of developing uh, standard apps or web apps. So the first one is um, using a framework, which is able to achieve everything. And I'm talking about infrastructural framework. Um, or just stick with web standards and use polyfills. And with the yep. polyfills, over time, you can delete the polyfills because the browsers are catching up and they are catching up faster and faster. So this is actually yeah. the trend, right? Yeah, but but at the same time, the, the web is moving forward. So I, I, I would imagine that there will be new cool features and new polyfills coming out. So for instance, this week I went to, to Chrome Dev Summit and they were discussing some new proposals for, for instance, having a, a scheduler exposed to the developers, for instance, so they could have more uh, say over the different priorities of their tasks more, more than mm-hmm. they have currently with the uh, task queues and uh, micro task queues on the actual JavaScript event loop. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
also I think uh, well yeah so for something like that there might be a, a need for polyfilling backwards if you if you want to take advantage of stuff like that yeah but this uh, is like a micro optimization already right so for, I, oh. for sure yeah I mean that's uh, and but but like kind of coming back to your uh, question about what the what you would use a framework for I, I think one of the things that frameworks may help uh, developers do in the future also is kind of uh, help especially uh, developers who don't feel like spending very much time optimizing code themselves uh, create more kind of uh, they, they give people guide rails and they give people kind of a set of codified best practices like this is how if you write your app like this then they will take care of it running okay but of course uh, the nice thing with the uh, standards is that you're like if you know how they work, you can also just use them yourself and produce something that's probably even even more performant or even uh, nicer or cleaner or leaner. Leaner, I think leaner is is the is the most important thing. Develop exper experience in simplicity. So yep. if you yeah, because uh, as the micro optimization make it smaller, it does not matter in enterprise at all because in enterprise project you are usually in intranet so and the network yeah. is fast and you know the machines are fast in yeah. internet i see the problem so this should be yeah. optimized but um, um with http2 for instance um it is not a pro you don't even need a bundler you know you can just deliver the individual files and uh, the performance is usually good enough yeah yeah it, it it depends there there might be some overhead from parsing uh several files but it's usually not not huge depending on like that that would be more cpu constrained mm -hmm. in that case yeah uh, sure i think there are also other pretty cool things uh coming out especially that might be interesting in a enterprise environment is just taking more advantage of workers and web assembly to to run some even more uh complex things in the browser in the future so that's something that i'm at least personally looking forward to, to playing around with a little bit and and exploring I think uh, one interesting thing which came out is in Chrome 70 is now uh, it's final that you can install the web app on, on as a native app. So before yeah. you have to now have the development switches, but right now mm -hmm. it is native. So what it means is in Service Worker, you can uh, catch an event and and there is a, I think, client cl a claim method. And if you call it, um, in one point of time, if you if you run the app several times, Chrome will ask you, "Would you like to install the app locally?" And what it does, it installs um, with the web manifesto. You have to declare the web manifesto. I um, web manifest. I um, forgot about that. But um, it will install the whole app and Chrome locally um, as a native app. It really looks on Mac like you know an application, right? Yep. And if you get first, as I, I installed Twitter on on my computer and if I get a push notification through that it actually opens the installed application and not a browser tab now so it, it actually integrates pretty well. So I think Varden is now per accident in a very good place right because um, <laughs> yeah because if you don't need the infrastructural frameworks and what you will need always is a good looking and uh, and uh, and uh, I would say powerful components because no way that someone will implement in a project, you know, a fast grid. 
I think this is mission impossible. Regardless how talented you are, you just cannot do this. To to you know, well, to... It, it's not really practical. I mean, yeah, you have other yeah, this... goals in a project, and the yeah. goals very rarely yeah. include spending two, three, four yeah. months on building a grid. Yeah. But but the cool story is you can start with your own you know homegrown component and uh, if you find out it is not good enough then you can just replace this custom element with something from Vaden. Yep. And, and this is actually a great news, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, funny, I was uh, uh, you were on on DevOps conference? Uh, not this year, no. So I, I'm back from DevOps, and after my talk, so what I did, uh, the first half, I talk about a micro-profile, and then I hacked uh, on, on stage, like CSS grid with some custom elements. And some people came to me and asked me the question, oh, when, why you need frameworks at all? And one of them had a Vardin shirt on, T-shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, are you from Vardin? So don't be you know, afraid, because uh, Vardin is just a set of elements which you can just buy, and they work great. Uh, yeah, um, we are not from Vardin. We just like the T-shirt, and we have uh, and and we like uh, um, we had a talk at, at the conference, and uh, we had a chat, and uh, and they already are in the you know web components mode, so they had yeah. some remaining questions. So it seems like, like you know how to call it a revolution starts right now. More and more projects finding out that actually the plain standard um, is sufficient for I would say eighty percent of all applications. I would even claim. Yeah, and even even then, like one one thing where I've seen uh, web components and custom elements be really kind of useful in in enterprise settings is that uh, the development environments across different teams or the tech stacks can be fairly different. So some one team might be using one framework, one uh, team is still using jQuery, and somebody's using something else. And uh, using a common standard like web components, they're able to to build components within the organization that all these uh, different projects are able to to use and they can of course in new projects they can then decide if they want the framework at all or not but they can still get a very kind of consistent and reusable set of components also internally which saves a lot of time mm -hmm. um, and the barrier of interoperability is actually fairly low there is there was one page custom elements everywhere I think this was like yep. yeah and this was compatibility between Frameworks and most of the frameworks were compatible. I think React had some problems, but all others. Yeah, were... React is essentially the only one, like of the big frameworks right now, that has some uh, interoperability problems. Mostly those uh, have to do with the fact that React tries to set any any properties, like anything you set on a custom element, it will always try to serialize and set it as an attribute. So it's you can't pass in actual like objects as properties which makes things pretty difficult. And also, I think it has a, if I remember correctly, it, there was something with the listening to events and yeah. ca mm -hmm. cases. Uh, so if you, it, it doesn't work very smoothly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but but, uh, but for, for, for other frameworks that have kind of embraced this more, uh, it's pretty, pretty smooth. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Polymer seems like it destroys itself because uh, now it, they pro propose the lit, lit element, right? And um, but the, there, there's almost nothing left from Polymer, right? Yeah, and, and I mean, if you go back uh, three years or four years to to kind of what they were saying, their whole mission statement for Polymer was to go away at some point. They wanted to kind of be. Uh, a proving ground and, and testing ground and an accelerator for 
web standards and as, as those standards became available they wanted to kind of make themselves smaller and smaller until they're no longer needed and i i think what they kind of consider right now is that they're at a point where they've solved most of their initial goal and now they're forked into these different other uh, smaller projects where they're trying to push other uh, parts of the web forward like with lit uh, lit html and 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 things like pwa helpers so that that's kind of my interpretation of that yeah yeah uh, absolutely so i did a, a great job this is a kind of an anti-framework which i really like yeah well i think they actually call themselves an anti-framework oh, really? at some, some conference where i was <laughs> oh, okay so i didn't knew this so i always uh, uh said okay polymer is like you know the anti-framework and i hope no one is get offended by that but if they claim it by themselves it was, um, yeah, yeah. Kudos I, I might be wrong uh, it might have been somebody else no sure I, I, you're, you're not the first person to say that to me at least <laughs> oh, okay cool um the only thing which i still don't like is you not know, the whole installation with npm this is uh the last you know bit of magic and uh, not actually the the, the the thing is downloaded to node modules which is a folder and yeah. then uh, you need to do something with it so what i did with lit html is i just copied the folder which is downloaded by node modules to my folder and it just works right away so i can just import that and it works it does not work with uh, all projects but it works well with lit html what are your thoughts uh, about you know integrating uh, third-party custom elements? Let's say from Vardin. So, um, is there something um, what I could use without npm, or what's the future? Because I think the npm is still somehow strange, right? Yeah, but it, it, it's somehow strange, but it's also kind of what everyone uses, and uh, so yeah, we we have all the components are available on on npm of course mm -hmm. so you can download them from there i personally my own projects i i use npm to to download the dependencies of course if you only have like if you only use uh lit html or just like a very limited amount you you could essentially do what you're doing and copy them over but i think if you start having more more dependencies that can can be kind of uh difficult yeah, yeah, to, sure. to manage mm -hmm. Sure, but if you have more dependencies, uh, I would say, then uh, then you have a problem anyway in enterprise fields because everything moves that fast, right? So I would say yeah. what's very common is the solid HTML is uh, my proposal, but what we sometimes need is uh, 3DS, like for the charting library. Mm -hmm. yep. So without that, forget it. So we have to integrate it somehow, and the integration is also easy. And probably sometimes Moment.js for the dates, but everything else is optional. So we have basically the three main libraries, and everything else is more or less forbidden because, uh, or is optional. Yeah. Where Vardin is going? So, what is the next ideas? If you can talk about, um, so what will come? What we can, you know, look look forward. To? Sure. Well, I, I can I can speak on a kind of a high level without disclosing too many no. juicy details. You'll have to follow follow us online. <laughs> yes. uh, but yeah, we are uh, in in terms of the components. We are extending the set of components. Uh, just uh, there are still uh, we have a long list of different components that we just haven't had time to build yet and kind of we, we started with some of the most like we wanted to cover the most common use cases first and then we go into more specific use case mm -hmm. uh, components so that's something uh, like I said we're uh, currently the components are uh, built using polymer so mm -hmm. we might uh, explore kind of making those leaner using something like lit html or 
for some components, might maybe just nothing but the plain standard uh, web components APIs, mm-hmm. uh, just kind of making things cleaner and cleaner. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the Java side, we're essentially we are hoping to be able to offer to Java developers uh, the best possible way to build uh, meaningful progressive web apps. Uh, so we're hopefully be able to release something around that mm-hmm. uh, next year, which I think will be pretty cool. I, I think progressive web applications makes so much sense in a, especially in a business environment. Uh, so I, I'm I'm really hoping that we're able to uh, build something where we can make it easier and more approachable for mm-hmm. for Java developers who aren't necessarily very uh, don't have that much interest in in kind of configuring all the moving pieces to exactly. to to be able to build something that's actually working and 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 nice. Yeah, and um, where people can find you on the internet, or do you have some resources? So, what are the links or and the resources you would like to point the listeners to? Uh, well, if you go to to our website varden dot com, mm-hmm. you will find the if you in the main menu there's a link to or essentially there are two main sections there's uh the components which are the ones that we've been talking about here mm-hmm. all day mm-hmm. and then there's flow which is essentially the java server side engine that you can use if you want to to drive these components from from the server side okay so, and your, so that's a and your twitter account my twitter account is at marcus helberg mm-hmm. and, and vaden's twitter account is just vaden just vaden okay and what is the upcoming web standard where you are really excited about? Uh, WebAssembly, you said. WebAssembly is one thing I, I think could be pretty interesting to see uh, what we could do in a kind of also business app space. There, a lot of the use cases currently have been in kind of gaming and virtual reality and stuff like that. But I, I think you can think of many business cases where you're running fairly uh, complex computations like spreadsheets or encryption or uh, things like that where it might be uh, interesting. Uh, or, they or were porting legacy app, you know, if you have a C++. Or porting or legacy yeah. app. I, I did see somebody had ported like a JVM on, on WebAssembly. <laughs> that, that sounded scary. Yeah. Um, they were uh, at Chrome Dev Summit, they were also talking about layered APIs as a kind of proposal for the web platform. So that would essentially mean that the web platform could provide these this standard library of higher order uh, components that you can install just as basically uh, JavaScript imports from a standard library. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first one that they've been prototyping with is a generic virtual scroller to, to kind of reduce the DOM usage and that way kind of help developers build more performant apps. But so that would kind of be a uh, one possible uh, way of creating, making it easier for people to to, to build performant and applications. Mm-hmm. Cool. So exciting times, and I hope I will meet you in person in one of the for conferences, sure. so we can ex- exchange you know our thoughts on which policy yeah, we a... can delete you know in the next few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been an interesting uh, discussion. I definitely didn't know that you were this into to all the the cool new web standards so we'll definitely need to catch up. Yeah. Um yeah, really because if you if you are, you know, 
a Java e developer, and if you look at the web, the only thing which is actually compatible with the backend are web standards. Yeah. And what we forgot also to mention, the whole MDN movement, Mozilla Developer Network, which just stands for MDN. Uh, it is actually a joint effort of specifying the uh, the web platform, which is somehow similar to the JCP we had uh, mm -hmm. um, in the past, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I, th I think a lot of a lot of good things are happening on the web right now. It's it's becoming a a much saner place to develop software on. On. Yeah. So I wish you a you know, great morning. And uh, for me, it's just, you know, uh, an evening. <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Adam. Bye-bye.